Welcome to Gracious Words. Gracious Words is taken from the weekly women's Bible study taught by Cheryl Broderson at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California. The Lord spoke to Joshua and said, See, I have given Jericho into your hands, its king and the mighty men of valor. God was saying to Joshua, it was a done deal. It was certain. God was encouraging Joshua by allowing him to see as he saw. part two of Cheryl's message titled Impediment to the Promise. It is said by archaeologists that the wall was 15 feet thick. It was double layered and it was 30 feet high. It is completely enclosed. It is shut up. There is no vulnerability that can be seen. And it is absolutely in intimidating, downright scary. But it must be dealt with if the Israelites are going to go in and take possession of the land. However, they can't simply attack it, go at it. You can't go up and just kick it. You're just going to hit your foot, hurt your foot if you try to kick it. There's the possibility of defeat. Worse yet, There's a possibility of presumption, like I'm not waiting around, I'm gonna take it down. And then getting hurt and accomplishing nothing. As Joshua prepared to take the city, he receives confirmation, as you remember in earlier chapters. There are the two spies who went into Jericho and met Rahab. And they learned the disposition of the people who were in Jericho, that they were not aggressive. They were scared. They were threatened. They were intimidated. Secondly, Joshua has an encounter with the commander of the Lord's army. He looks like a warrior and he has a drawn sword. And he has come to take charge of the armies of Israel. I think for Joshua, that must have been such a relief. Great. It's not up to me. I'm under the order of God. He's come. He sent his commander. I am going forth with God. Because we know that Joshua fell on his face when he heard this word. And he worshiped the Lord. And he asked for God's instruction. Now, as we come to chapter six, the Lord speaks and he says to Joshua, see, I have given Jericho into your hand. It's king and the mighty men of valor. God is saying it's a done deal. It's already happened. It is sure. It is certain. 
God was allowing Joshua to see as he saw. There was a conflict between what things looked like and the reality of what it really was. It looked impenetrable. It looked unconquerable. But the reality was it was about to fall, completely fall and be obliterated. By sight, Jericho was tightly shut up. By promise, it was already defeated. And what was greater, the sight or the promise? What was great, the promise, greater the promise or the impediment? The assurance is under the condition of the following instructions. You see, there is no assurance of promise fulfillment if we go rogue and are disobedient. If we go maverick and independent, and I'm tired of waiting on God, we have no promise left because all the promises are conditioned on our obedience and our covenant with God through Christ. God moves us to obedience. He gives us his instructions because he wants to give us all the promises. He alone knows how to fulfill these promises to us. He alone knows what is necessary to bring the impediments down that we might receive the promises. I think about Luke chapter 22, verses 7 through 13. And there, the disciples come to Jesus and they said, where would you like us to celebrate the Sabbath with you? And Jesus gives them these very specific instructions. He says, one, enter Jerusalem. Go into Jerusalem. Secondly, look for a man carrying a water pot because that was unusual. Then he says, follow him, observe the house he enters, ask for the master of that house, ask the master to show you the room and then prepare it. And in Luke 22, 13, we're told, so they went and found it just as he said to them. You see, we will never find it just as he said if we refuse to follow his directives. His directives, his instruction, his word is necessary and vital to bringing down the impediments, to receiving the promise, the promise which is his word. We will only find it just as he says when we walk in obedience. The instructions, here's his word to them. Here it is, and here is, here is our lesson. It would seem that the commander spoke these instructions to Joshua about the strategy. The armies of Israel were to go forward in rank with the Ark of the Covenant. Seven priests, each with a horn, were to accompany the Ark and blow their ram's horns interspersedly, if that's a word, just pretend it is. The army was to march around the city every day, once around for six days, and then return to the camp. 
However, on the seventh day, the army with the ark is to march around the city seven times. Imagine how exhausting that would be. Every day, I believe God is draining their strength that they might know his strength. Then after the seventh circuit, on the seventh day, the priests would make a loud blast of the trumpet and all the people were to shout. And I wonder if this included the people in the camp, the women and the children in Gilgal, if they were to hear the men shouting and they were to join that shout, knowing that victory was inevitable. God promised that after this shout, on the seventh day after the seventh circuit, that the walls of Jericho would fall down flat. Next, there is prayer. There is one more proviso to these instructions, and that is prayer. During the march, there is not to be a word uttered. While we were in the leaders meeting, somebody said, do you think the women went? And somebody else said, no, because there was not supposed to be a word uttered. And I told that to Brian, and Brian said, it's a good thing a woman said that. (laughs) The only sound would be the stomping on the ground of those who are marching and the priest horns. To those inside Jericho, it must have sounded like a stampede of elephants. They were not to shout. They were not to make any noise with their mouth or say a word from their mouth. No whispering even. What a challenge this would be. My daughter was um, taking her exam to be an esthetician, and she asked me to be her model. And she said, but one thing, Mom, you may not speak. You can't talk to me. You can't say anything to me. And I was like, oh, honey, are you sure I'm the right person? And I really had to pray for the gift of restraint and not talking, especially because she had to do these false eyelashes on me. It was the only time I got to wear false eyelashes in my life. But she put one on that was just one string, another that were each individual. And as she was doing the individual ones, this one popped up. And, you know, as a mom, I wanted to go, honey, you better fix it. We want to pass this. But I wasn't allowed to talk. And I was like, And I wanted to go, "Mm, mm, mm, mm," but I wasn't allowed to make a sound. And I'm just there. So in my heart, I'm just praying, oh God, let her see the eyelash. Let her see the eyelash. And my oldest daughter, she's got Brian's temperament. So she's very calm. And she's just doing it. She looks at me and she's like, because I'm trying to do it with my eyes. And she looks at me and she's like, like, I know mother, peace, be still. Know that he's God. He's over me. I'm all right. You're all right. Just stay quiet. I think she was probably praying for me. Got her off worrying about the exam. But what do you do when you are forced to be quiet and the situation is intense, intimidating, unknown? You pray. That is the gift that we have. We don't have to pray out loud. We can pray in our hearts. We can pray in our minds. And it often takes those situations of forced silence to cause us to really pray. I am sure as they marched, they reminded themselves of God's promise because they were unable to talk to anyone but God. Prayer is another factor 
in leveling the impediments that stand in the way of the promises. In Luke 18, 1, Jesus taught his disciples that men ought always to pray and not to faint. But that word ought always, it means they, they need to keep praying, be persistent in prayer, which brings us to persistence. They were to continue to do what they had done the same way for six days. Now, can you imagine that? Let's, let's just do this real quick. Day one, they assembled for the first time together and had to go silent as Joshua arranged all of them in the right place. And then they put the Ark of the Covenant in the midst of them, flanked by the men of war on the front and on the back. And then they began to march out of the camp of Gilgal and towards Jericho. And they marched around it the entire way without a word, being quiet and the priest blowing the trumpets. And as they marched, there was no change. No change. No stone loosed. The ground did not shake. There was no surrender, no white flag, and no shingle fell from the wall. Nothing. No change. You know, sometimes we pray, we look around, we say, there's no difference here. I remember one time driving with my son, Char, who used to go by Charlo, and now goes by Charles. He's always changing his identity. But he put his hand out while we were driving on the freeway and said, Mom, I don't know if God answers prayer. And I said, why? He said, because I put my hand out the window, told him to stop the wind, and I'm still feeling it. (laughs) Yes, that's the type of child he was. And, you know, I gave him a great big lecture about how God's not our genie, but how that we're here to serve God, not God, to serve us. And I went on. But I thought about that, you know, just like we pray once and we think, oh, God didn't work. I guess it's up to me. So there they are. They do exactly what God says. And there's no change. Day two. Again, they assemble at Gilgal in the same order. They march out in silence. The ark is in their midst. The priests blow their horns. They make a circuit around Jericho. There is no change. This is day two. There is no difference that can be detected. There is no visible encouragement. There is no sign that things are going to change. Nothing. It looks like those walls are as strong as they ever have been. Day three. They again gather in formation. They march out from the camp. The priests bear the Ark of the Covenant. The seven priests blow the horns. It is exactly, exactly the same way. Same thing as it was on day one and day two. Still no change. Still no visible difference. Not even a slight give in Jericho. Now here it's day four. By this time, they know where to stand. They knew who they're marching with. They know how to get in rank. They know what to do. They are sure of their position. They can almost do the march blindfolded. It's the fourth day of silence and marching and moving and looking. And there's no change. And they return to camp. And it seems like things are just as they were before. Day five. 
day five. The men of war gather again. They line up. They take their place. They begin the march out of the camp. I hope it's sounding redundant to you because it must have sounded redundant to them. And they again encircle Jericho and there is no change. And they return. Everything is done just as it was on day one, two, three, four, and now five. And they look back on Jericho and it says, shut up. It's as tall. It's as great and strong as it ever was. Day six. No doubt on this day, one of the reasons for silence is obvious. Because if they're not silent, they might say, here we go again. Here we go again. I don't see anything. You see anything? I don't see anything. It's just the same. Still no difference. They're doing everything God said, but there's no visible encouragement at all. Nothing says this is going to change. No movement at all in the enemy camp. Not even the gates are pried open. It would seem that nothing that they've done so far has made any difference at all. Nothing. They've been obedient and obedient and obedient. They've stayed quiet and quiet and quiet. And no change. No change at all. Day seven. They have the promise that this day will be different, but it begins the exact same way. Again, getting in their formation, marching out from the camp of Gilgal with the ark flanked on both sides by the men of war, walking around Jericho, priests sounding the horns, everyone being quiet, and they go once around, still nothing. They march a second time, returning to their initial point, nothing. Above them is still the tall, impenetrable, stone upon stone edifice. A third time, nothing. A fourth time, nothing. Is this really effective? Is anything really changing? A fifth time, still they keep formation, still they march. It is getting a bit monotonous. Perhaps this is the beginning. Or maybe this reminds you of your prayer life. Perhaps you say, Lord, I have been faithfully doing what you ask. I see absolutely no change in this impediment. I have been doing it. Maybe for you, it's not day after day. Maybe it's week after week. Maybe it's month after month. Maybe it's year after year and you're not seeing anything. And perhaps the Lord said something to you like, see, this promise is yours. And you get really excited when he gives it to you. And you, as I said, you write your name next to it. And you're like, yes, did you see the promise God gave me? And then here's this impediment that just seems to come down like a wall blocking you from it. And you're praying and you're being obedient and there's no change at all. You keep marching to the Lord's instructions. You keep praying and you are not seeing any visible change. Sixth time around, absolutely nothing. No stone is loosed. The ground does not shake. And now the seventh time, they march around the entire city. 
They are tired. They are waiting. But it's not until they complete the seventh circuit and suddenly they're all in place around the city and Joshua says to the priest, sound the horns. And the horns sound a long blast. And then Joshua says, shout for the city is ours. The priests take a deep breath and all together, they give one long blast on the trumpet. Shout for the Lord has given you the city. Then Joshua and all the men shout loudly and suddenly, suddenly, without any prior indication, the walls fall down flat. I love this word, nafal, nafal. It's a Hebrew word, nafal, and it means to fall down flat. Years ago, Brian and I were, were flying back home from England and we got bumped up. Is there anything as wonderful as being bumped up? I mean, it was great. But I remember we're standing in this line and Brian and I had, we sometimes go different lines to see which line will win. And we were both at the same place in two different lines. And the woman takes my ticket. She begins to tear it up. And I looked at her like, what, what are you doing? I want to get on this flight. You know, have I been disqualified? And she looks at me because she sees my dismay. She goes, it's your lucky day. And I'm looking at her like, it is? And how is that? And she's like, you know, you, you, you get to lay down flat. I'm like, it's my de- lucky day because I'm going flat? What is flat? You know, I think it's some English term I haven't heard before. And I'm like, flat? What is flat? I'm looking at Brian. Brian's like giving me the thumbs up because they're tearing up his ticket. And I looked at her and I flat. She goes, yes, you know. We're bumping you up to, um, it was like one above. It's like um, business class. She goes, we're bumping you up to business class where the seats go down flat. I'm like, the seats go down flat? I'm so excited I get a flat seat. But when I read this, I think about how the walls fell down flat. In the fall, they went down flat. They didn't fall on the people of Israel. They didn't fall out. They fell down flat. They sunk and tumbled and imploded. The protection of Jericho was gone. The impediment was absolutely 100% gone. And nothing was keeping Israel from victory. But the battle is not over. It has not even commenced. What we have is only the impediment to victory, being gone. But there's one more key, and that key is sanctification. You see, sanctification is necessary for victory. Some people follow God's word in the big picture, the big picture. You know, they read their Bible, they fellowship. And once they pray for something or that thing that they prayed for happens, They go right back to their old life, to their old ways. There's no sense of sanctification or of dedicating themselves to the Lord, of a full surrender. It's like, thank you, God, for what you've done. Now I'm going to take it myself and I'll take it from here. And they tend to go out on their own. 
and they never experience a thorough victory. The wall might be down, but the enemy is still in charge. And there is that need for sanctification. Joshua commands that this victory be totally given to God, that the people recognize the spirituality of the conquest. Joshua commanded that as they deal with these people, they are not to take any of the spoils, not the sheep, not the goats, not the food. Sometimes we pray and we don't see any difference in our situation. We wonder if God is working. God is teaching us persistence. The children of Israel were instructed to do what they had done for six days, even though they saw no change as they marched in silence around the city of Jericho. But God was working. On the seventh day, when they continued to march, and as Joshua gave the signal, the trumpets blasted and the walls came down. Jericho was theirs, just as the Lord had promised. We hope you have been blessed by today's Bible study. For more information about the Gracious Words radio program and the teaching ministry of Cheryl Broderson, please visit our website at graciouswords.com. Coming up next time on the Gracious Words program, we'll see the Israelites take Jericho as we continue our Possessing the Promises series in the book of Joshua with Cheryl Broderson. We do hope you make plans to join us. Again, for more information, please visit our website at graciouswords.com. This program is sponsored by Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.